You're listening to the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, brought to you by Nualtra. My name is Lucy Dia, and I'm a third year student dietitian. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by registered dietitian and placement trainer Sarah Pickup to discuss all things dietetic placement. In this episode, Sarah will share her experience working as a dietetic placement trainer. We will discuss what you can expect from placement and how you can best prepare. Without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Sarah to introduce herself. Thanks. So I'm Sarah Pickup and I graduated back in 2014. Um, my first role was a band five as a dietitian in the stroke and elderly team um, in the split post between acute and community and later was successful at gaining a band six in the same team. In 2017, I moved to my current role as a stroke specialist dietitian, which is an acute role. My clinical interests are working with stroke and patients and those with dysphagia. At the moment, I'm a co-chair of the Greater Manchester Integrated Neuro and Stroke Dietitian Support Group, as well as being a member of the BDA Neurosciences Working Group and a member of the Stroke Working Group. And we're actually currently in the process of reviewing the evidence for the RCP Stroke Guideline Update. I've been actively involved in student training throughout my career, but since beginning my current role, I've been working as one of um, four lead dietitians within our trust supporting students. That's about me. Fantastic. So to get us started today then, can you tell us about your own journey sort of from student dietitian to your current role now? So when I was at school, I had no idea what a dietitian was at all. And it was only when I went to a careers event at our school. So they arranged for year 10 and 11. They had this big evening to invite students and the parents to come round. And it was a really good careers event. And they had different rooms to different types of jobs. Um, and there was an NHS room. And so went in thinking, don't really want to be a doctor or nurse, but let's have a look. And there was this stand with dietitian. I thought, oh, that's interesting that's about food I helping people that sounds really good so I went and spoke to the dietitian on the stands and absolutely loved what I hear, was hearing and thought oh this could be for me and I was really lucky and um, the dietitian volunteered um, for me to go and do some work experience so I went a few months later and had spent a day working with this dietitian in an acute hospital we went on a cardiology ward and absolutely loved it and thought this is what I want to do Carried on doing my GCSEs, picked my A-levels, and when I was at sixth form, people, I felt, didn't really know what a dietitian was, and so there was quite a lot of saying, well, if you train to be a dietitian, you might not, if you don't like it, that's what you're trained to do, what are you going to do with that, you then have to retrain, and actually no kind of understanding of the transferable skills that we have as dietitians, so because I then became a bit unsure, decided to do um biology and biological sciences with genetics at university so I went to University of Birmingham for three years absolutely loved that degree I'm real interested in uh, genetics as well and then I kind of got to the end of my degree and thought hmm what can I do now um so it actually came to two options so I was thinking of either becoming a genetic counsellor or going back to dietetics I a bit my third year went back to um the same hospital and did another day in the acute ward and I actually managed to get some work experience with a different trust um just going into a diabetes clinic and so got a bit of a mixture of the acute and community and but no this is what I want to do so I applied and I got onto the course at Leeds as a postgrad so completed um two years um training at Leeds um before I then got my um first job as a band five and then 
progressed through a sedimentary intro to where I am now. Brilliant. It's great to hear that you were introduced to dietetics so young that you managed to get that experience early on. And I think I'm so fortunate to get that experience so young. Because a lot of people don't know what a dietitian does. And I think at school, that's what kind of put me off of not doing it from sixth form. But again, raising that awareness of dietetics and more people can get it early on. Absolutely. So what is your favourite thing, Sarah, about being a placement trainer? Um... I love seeing um, student dietitians coming in really nervous on their first day of their first placement, um, nervous but excited and wanting and seeing the development of dietitians and gaining the confidence and becoming the dietitians um, that they end at the end of their third placement and seeing that journey and journeying with those dietitians. As we're going to come and talk to about, I didn't have the easiest placement experience myself. So for me, giving back and making something positive out the difficulties that I sometimes had with my own placement being able to give back and give that support to other students I find really value and I love seeing that journey and that's really important. So if you don't mind going into that a little bit further then what was your own experience with placement? So I when I did placement I was on the ABC structure of placement so I did my first placement um, which at that time was more an observational um, placement which is trying to make more interactive now but I absolutely loved that first placement and really enjoyed it was looking forward to starting my second placement and starting to do um, get more involved I was a bit unlucky in the fact I had to have some time off at the start of placement eye infection and other things so I was in and out of placement a little bit which was quite difficult did quite okay until week six where um starting to do well starting to introduce meet and greet patients starting to get more of that information about the weight history and those at uh, the assessment part but it then became apparent that actually when you start to give them the advice that I started to hit the brick wall and started to kind of lack self-confidence about how to go next and I've actually seen that with students it's quite common that you progress so far but it's then taking it that next step and that next jump to that advice giving and that can feel like a big jump for a lot of um, student dietitians it feels like a big leap of faith I struggled and started to I felt because of my confidence lowered I felt like I started going backwards and actually progress I've made started not achieving the same place that I had before and I felt by some of the dietitians at that trust at the time I felt unsupported and I felt like actually they think I'm not good enough they think I can't do this um I was actually asked by a dietitian do you really want to do that which then questions where I was um, and whether I wanted to do it and my confidence um took some time out of placement and again what I struggled with I didn't actually know the tutor that was covering my placement area so that was difficult to then seek that help and it was just that total lack of confidence in moving forward and didn't feel I had the support to push that through. So in discussion with uni, we decided that I would um, end placement early and I then went to do, they were going to add extra weeks to my C placement because I hadn't completed all my learning objectives. When I started on my new placement, I started to do really well and with the right support and the confidence and you can do this, I felt that actually was able to progress, but there was still an underlying that was self-confidence um, and at the time I was really upset thinking we decided with uni that we would be better for me to gain confidence to make it a whole repeat second placement and looking back that's the best thing that ever happened I had extra weeks there was no pressure to complete those learning objectives I had an extra six weeks and actually 
progressed so well and that pressure was taken off that I think it allowed him to flourish and thrive so for people who are in the situation of needing extra weeks that's not a bad thing actually sometimes that can be the best gift to actually give you that extra time to develop those skills without a pressure of an immediate deadline I was then really fortunate that that same trust where I'd done my, which then turned out to repeat B, became a C placement. And I went back to the same trust and they allowed me to go back. And from there, and that's when I then got my fan five job from there. So again, it's about being in the right environment. And it was tricky. It was tough. And at certain points, I doubted whether I wanted to carry on. But actually, I knew deep down that's what I wanted to do. And this was right. And just to get through. And that's my kind of placement experience. So again, my student training now I just want to be that support that those dietitians in that second placement were to me I want to be that for other student dietitians. Well thank you for sharing that with us I think that'll that'll resonate with a lot of student dietitians it can be very overwhelming and very scary going on placement so it's really great to hear that perspective from you. I, I think as well for a lot of student dietitians a lot of us are away from home. We've not got that usual support network. We've not got our friends um, and family. We move away from your uni as well. So you've not got you've not got family support. You've then not got that peer support from you. You may be on placement with someone from your course, but they not might not be your friendship group, and that can be really difficult and as well. So it can feel quite isolating. So again, making sure you've got the support to help you through some of those difficult and emotional times. That's great advice. So what should students expect on their very first day of placement? I think to enjoy your first day of placement, don't expect that you're going to come on your first day and you're going to be thrown into everything um, and just put you up. Most places you'll have an induction for your student day. So it'll be a guide to, and that'll be the same for whether it's your first, second or third placement. Each placement is very different. You may be in a queue, you may be in a community setting. And again, inducting you to that um, area and what the placement course is going to look like. Quite often you're given a timetable or a structure of what's going to happen over the next um, 10, 12 weeks, depending on which placements you're on and which uni you're at. Um, and it's those introductions of this is the team, this is the what we expect, this is information about your portfolios, trying to get IT access, those basic everyday things before later in the week starting then to progress and introduce you to the wards or the community setting and patients and build up. So you're not, don't worry about your first day, you're not going to be thrown straight into the deep end of here you are, going to see all these patients. So it's a gradual introduction. So that's what to expect kind of from your first day. Fantastic. And what are some of the key things that students should bring with them for a day on placement? What I'd always say is most placements will always send you a welcome or an introduction letter. So that is your first point of call of what you should bring. If there's anything specific that you need, that's a good place um, to start. Things that you need for your learning, notepad, pencil case, making sure you've got that to write those notes down, um, write where things are, contact numbers, all those basic everyday things. And again, place for you to um, write any key information. Bringing things, not necessarily for your first day, but kind of for your first week and start to build up. It's those things that might be really helpful, like a food ready reckoner guide. Have you got, have you started a list of medications that are commonly used? You can start to build up those lists things of all nutritional supplements have you got those and building up so just bringing or starting those things to that you then are resources that you're then going to use and develop um over placement again your penge a calculator really important we're going to calculate requirements a lot i do not dietary intakes those feed regimes you're going to need those 
So particularly in P1 and P2, student dietitians will have significant gaps in their knowledge coming into placement as obviously they've not completed their programme. So are there any key areas or clinical conditions that students should prioritise in their preparation for placement? It's quite a difficult question to answer because depending on which placement area you're going to, you're going to be exposed to different conditions. So when you're getting that information about what placement you're going on to, it's tailoring it to what patients you're likely to expect um, in that clinical area. But things that are kind of common to kind of be aware of, your basic oral nutritional support, how to give basic food first advice, that little and often, nourishing drinks, nourishing snacks, food fortification, having that at your fingertips and under your belt, you're going to be able to use that across a variety of settings. And it's also things like practicing your rationale and your explanation to parents parents explanation to patients sorry um of common conditions and how nutrition can affect so nutrition in relation to pressure sores nutrition in relation to copd because again these are conditions that can be common throughout inpatient outpatient and that you can apply so having that um knowledge at your fingertips you can give that explanation of why nutrition is so important with these conditions and how nutrition can impact if you've got that rationale and you can practice you can practice on your friends and family giving that um, explanation and the more you say it and the more you say it to a real life person the easier that becomes you get into your normal pitter patter of um, explanation that can really help you've got that solidified before you then go on to placement. So as part of placement students are expected to perform a case review or maybe multiple in your view what makes a successful and comprehensive report? I think it's really important for student dietitians to not assume any knowledge uh, when they're writing the reports or they are giving their presentation. And it's important you give a clear explanation of why you've implemented whatever care plan you've implemented or your nutritional care plan. I would always look at the paperwork about what you're being assessed by, and that can be a really helpful way of giving yourself a structure of what you'd be expected to meet on expected criteria um, for your case review. And it's explaining why you've done what you've done. Imagine you're explaining what you've done to a dietitian who's just started, a new student dietitian who just started. So I have assessed this patient to be at feeding risk because of X, Y, and Z. And I this is why I've put this care plan because this is the advice from Penge or this is the advice from this and giving the evidence for that and not assuming um, that the dietitians already know that we already know that but it's making sure that we understand you know how you've got to where you've come from and that can be the case reviews are a really good way of you demonstrating that you have the knowledge and signing off that knowledge competency um and sometimes um not necessarily in a case review but sometimes maybe when you're actually seeing the patient for the first time is it's not always obvious you can sometimes go down the plan a or plan b and both are appropriate dietetic plans and sometimes students can kind of go I'm not quite sure what to do in this situation it could be either but actually if you're saying to your supervisor I could do this plan because and this is my rationale for doing it or I could do that plan it's showing the super you may not be able to have our skills at that point to go directly to that plan but you're showing your knowledge and your care planning skills and your rationale where you're coming to and so it demonstrates your supervisor that you have those skills and it's just maybe that experience where if you go I'm not sure what to do that can be difficult it can be difficult to advise to know where the key is that would be always advice that I'd give if you have two thoughts explain say this is the reason why for both 
when you're actually presenting your um, case review or writing your report, doing a structured guide, again, using your ABCD approach is a really good way of making sure you've got all the information um, included um, in their case review. Students may be asked to present their case review to the team, which can be very nerve-wracking from my own experience. So do you have any advice on how students can present to other healthcare professionals? It can be really nervous um, presenting to a team of dietitians or other healthcare professionals. Just remember, we were all sat in that position once before. We've all been there. We know how nerve-wracking um, it can be. Um, so don't we understand and try not to panic. Um, we're not as scary as we sometimes look. Sometimes when um, we're writing things down, it's to say, you know, it's the good things and comments that you have and you have done your feeding, you've talked about your bloods. Um, it's really, so don't be scared that people are writing. Sometimes it's just make sure that you have completed everything and filling in the paperwork. So don't be nervous or put off by that. What I'd say is prepare for your presentation. So speaking to supervisors of, what have you, computer access have you got to be able to deliver your um, presentation to? Do you, are you able to use the screen? What's the layout? Is it easy for you to be looking backwards and forwards? Do you need your own handouts? Looking at the structure of the room, how many people are you going to present to? Do you need handouts? So that's a really good way of doing it. And again, if you know how many people are there, it makes it easier. And remember to breathe and stay calm and not panic. Um, we can see that again, and people can panic and start to stress. It's like, we know you can do it. You've got the confidence. Stay calm. Pauses and silence are absolutely okay. Give yourself time to think. And if you stumble, again, big breath. You've got this. Carry on. Um, we don't expect it to be word perfect. And it's, again, looking at what is your style. Some people find that having notes in front of them distracts them because they're always looking down um, wanting to know what's next. Um, and actually, it can be really off-putting and can be really difficult for them to then get eye contact. If you know your presentation really well, you've got prompts on the, on the slides in front of you. Some people find that actually not having, having notes can be more of a distraction. But other people find that cue cards and sentences can be really helpful to help them guide. So... And again, a lot of that comes with experience. Sometimes you don't know that until you've tried to so sometimes having multiple presentations or building from one presentation throughout placement. It's learning what style suits you best. So my advice would be slightly different depending on the student, but getting to know what works for you best. And what I say is lots of practice. You can read it out loud to someone, a, a friend, a family member, a flatmate, that is much better practice and the speed you can assess better if you're reading it in your head you can go faster and faster and faster where if you practice into a person they can give you advice to slow down and get back into the swing so that's what i'd say practice out loud to a human even if that's over zoom or facetime you know that can be really helpful actually just seeing someone's reaction that can again help and practice your presentation that's fantastic advice thank you so why is reflective practice so important for student dietitians? A lot of people find reflective practice really hard. Um, and sometimes even as a reflective learner, you do it. But I think the actual writing of it can be really tricky. Um, what I tend to advise is that 
trying to work out what style of learner you are, some people find it really helpful to reflect with a supervisor right there and then straight after the consultation. It's fresh in the mind and they want to discuss it and find out um, where they can improve and what to do next time. Other people find that they need time to process what's happened. They need to think about it and give themselves that time. So as reflective learners, you're going through placements. I, some people know immediately what style they are and other people maybe try different styles to see by to see what suits you best but again deciding and trying to rather than going straight into a reflective written practice having that verbal conversation first sometimes it's easier to reflect in discussion before you then put in pen to paper sometimes you're going straight to pen to paper it's really difficult um for that reflective practice and that reflective um learning some people find they do it after every consultation, that they're still concerned about the feedback that they've just got and they can't concentrate on the next patient that they're doing. It can then be a negative impact. So again, looking at the style of and when you reflect is really important because you don't want it to hinder your learning, but you don't want to go through a lot of patients doing the same mistake and that have the opportunity to be able to practice and put in and implement those new skills. I'd also say that learning from a bad experience or a difficult experience if something didn't go so well can be more valuable than something going really well because you learn that okay that didn't go well because of that therefore I need to implement x y and z where if something goes well or okay it doesn't go so it's difficult to find that learning experience a good reflection it's thinking about what happened why did it happen? Did it happen because I asked closed questions, so therefore the patient shut off and didn't wasn't able to give me, I didn't get the depth and breadth of information I need, therefore I need to do this in future, future consultations, and maybe here are some of the examples of open answered questions that I can give. So it's really important that what happened, why it happened, and then so what, how can I improve um, the action plan, but what, um, what and how am I going to implement that? Because if you say this happened because of that, but you never got the plan or the action point, you're kind of not getting the full benefit of that reflective practice. Um, when you're writing a reflective piece, um, it doesn't have to be brilliant um, prose and paragraphs and paragraphs. It can be bullet points. Um, again, using quotes of what happened or how you may have answered something differently, um, or you might have implemented a care plan in a slightly different way. That's really important. But just, it's about the content, not how it's exactly written. So I think sometimes students think it needs to be this really long piece. It needs to be written so, so many paragraphs, but actually, bullet points and sticking to the main points and getting an action plan with smart goals is the important part of what you kind of need to get out of your reflective writing. That's incredibly helpful. It was definitely something that I struggled myself to get to get my head around at first. It was this new concept that was quite difficult. Yeah, and it's I think it's difficult. It's in very few positions, so quite often supervisors will say, well, how do you feel that went? And immediately we're not really good at talking about what went well. Most students will go, well, I could have done that, I could have done that. And says, well, actually, so I think it's really good at thinking, okay, what went well? Why did it go well? And then what do um need to do? I always ask students first what went well, because I know that they're thinking about the things that didn't go well. But actually, it's thinking about your progress that you have made. I managed to do get this information, I managed to do this, and I always kind of what went well, okay, what do you want to learn from? And then creating the action points together because again 
as humans, we are, it's, it's really alien to talk about, oh, I did that really well. It's, we very rarely do that in other situations. So it's, it's a new skill and trying to get used to that, which can be quite difficult for some patient, some students, sorry. And actually, again, sometimes that's why some people prefer to do it a bit later on, so at the end of the session, because it gives them time to think and reflect and get those thoughts together. So it's again, what works well for you. And if you know what works well for you as a student, letting us know as supervisors, we can adapt the way that we do our session to what type of learner you are. And again, I know we're talking about reflective writing, but actually thinking about what type of learner you are when you're doing consultations. So if you are someone who likes to observe and watch how a dietitian does something and see several things before you then try and do it, that's great, let us know because it's building your confidence. If you're someone that actually wants to learn by doing, sitting watching someone do consultation, you feel like, well, I could do a bit of that, is really frustrating. So again, it's letting the dietitians and supervisors know what type of learner, how you learn best, how you then reflect on those learning experience is all really, really important. Um, so I, but knowing what type of learner and how you can reflect is really important to have that open discussion with your supervisor. We can adapt placement and sessions to benefit and to help your learning. So students have a lot to think about while they're on placement, as we've discussed. And as you mentioned earlier, um, it could be a case of moving away from home and being away from friends and family. So do you have any advice on how students can manage their time effectively whilst they're on placement? Yes, time management is really tricky. I think before going on placement, it's thinking about how am I going to um, manage um, for the placement for those 12, 10, 12, 13 weeks, wherever you are on placement. Sometimes it can be a difficult decision because sometimes it's I could commute, but that's quite a long commute. And um, if you're commuting, they can make the days really quite long. But actually, it's working out what's best for you. Do you are you someone who needs that family support? So actually, that really long commute, yes, it might be tricky, but actually, I've got the family support there, and therefore can carry on. I've got that friend support. I can live in the flatmates, and I've got that support and that friendship group. It may be actually better that. If you know that that tires you, actually that traveling can make things really difficult and giving yourself those shorter days. I know for some students, that's not an option. Finances play a big part in that and it's working out what you can logistically do. But actually thinking about for yourself in that commute, how does that affect your day? What type of placement is it? Is it somewhere you're gonna be in the car all the day? And actually that makes it quite a lot of driving that's tiring, how's that going to impact you? What I would say is, um, be careful if those students who work, think about what shift patterns that you can or can't do when you're in placement. Placement is tiring, it's exhausting, at times can be stressful, got a lot of workload. It is really rewarding and it is great and the achievements can be brilliant. However, it is a really difficult time. Do you need to continue in that current work pattern? Do you have a job at a weekend? Maybe if you work two days, can you only work one day just while you're on placement? Because it's going to be tiring. Again, for some students, that's not a option and can need to continue but how are you going to manage that amount of work while you're um on placement so thinking about what you're going to do work-wise what I would say is when you actually have started on placement and you're given your placement timetable you'll know when your case reviews if you've got an audit project you'll know when your midway review is trying to have a bit of a plan of when you're going to complete those tasks so it might be that that weekend I'm going to dedicate to trying to get my portfolio sorted for my midway assessment um, and 
saying right that week I need to do that seminar I'm going to do this work on the audit you don't want to be thinking about just doing one project at a time I'll do that because otherwise you'll get but when students are on our placement we their audit isn't until week 10 if you wait until week 10 week eight and nine to start doing that you're going to find yourself with a lot of work and it's going to be really quite difficult so planning out how you're going to manage that across your whole placement so again spending dedicating in your own diary when you're going to manage those times but what I'd also say is once you've got that structure of when things are due and those deadlines planning time to have a for instance, a non-placement weekend or a non-placement evening is really, really important. Um, and it might be that actually you do your midway, your six-week review, you've spent a lot of time getting all your evidence together. That following weekend or that Saturday, you're going to give yourself a placement-free day. But planning that time in advance so that you know you've got that relaxed time partway through is really important for your well-being as well. It's a long slog, 10, 12, 13 weeks on placement. And I think it's really important that you plan the downtime in as well um, and it's not just about placement because otherwise you'll be exhausted by the end but again planning in advance and seeing the whole placement of when you might do things I think is really important. So you mentioned portfolios there which is a very interesting topic um, it can be a lot of work for students and a lot of evidence to put together so when you're reviewing a student's portfolio what are the what are some of the key things that you're looking for in order to tick off the competencies? What I would say, and it's and it's beneficial for students and supervisors, it's not about the quantity of evidence that you get. It's about the quality. So if you've got a really, really big portfolio, that doesn't mean it's the best portfolio that's going to have the biggest chance of signing competencies off. So it's about the quality of what you're putting into your portfolio. Um, different places will, um, placements will advise on different structures um, for your portfolio um, they may say to do put things in a certain order which makes it easier um, for supervisors to um, sign off that competency but what I say is having a clear content of what is in your um, portfolio so it may be that you've got so at Chester you use your observation feedback forms which is an assessment of your individualized um, patient assessment tools and they're different use these different but again in context you've got the observation form and that's for it may be um, a COPD patient needing nutrition support and what competence that shows that's an inpatient and trying to get a different variety you want inpatients you've got inpatients outpatients you've got different patients groups if you've got a mix of um you've got an older patient if you've got a younger patient trying to see that variety and those different clinical conditions so you know you've got a wide breadth of knowledge and experience um and your reflections as well making sure you include them and it's really good to include evidence. So you may have done a consultation that didn't go so well and you've reflected on it. Can you put the evidence of your consultation from that first ass assessment? And you may have details missing. You may have feedback from student supervisor that you've missed this or missed that. But then you've implemented your action point and this has then been the result. Can you put then and see the difference and that learning? Because that is showing your reflective practice. You're putting things into place. You're taking that feedback on board. You're taking responsibility for your own learning. Um, so again, it's not about necessarily having that perfect consultation, but actually showing the progression is really important as well. You don't want to put every learning experience, but what are the key learning experiences for you that have helped you get from that first week student to the end of your placement? And again, it's the evidence of um, 
the paperwork that goes with it? Can you print off the anonymized um, patient record from your inpatient assessment? Can you copy that community um, pro forma? Again, you've anonymized and put in the notes of, to go as evidence that you've completed um, those assessments. You've got that paperwork. If you've written a GP letter or you've written to a hospital consultant, have you can you include that to show that you're doing your MDT working? And some it's showing that one assessment can actually count for a lot of competencies. So it's making sure that you get the most out of those um, observation feedback forms, that one assessment, you can actually get quite a lot of evidence that covers a range of competencies. So a lot of placements will advise you to use code. So actually it covers this competence in putting the codes down the side. What I would say is when you're um, preparing for your final presentation of your portfolio don't leave that right until week 12 you'll be up a lot of nights and it'll be really quite stressful as you're going along trying to keep that log of this is really good evidence for this and keeping the keys of what competences it goes along it might be that actually towards the end of placement you say this actually isn't the best evidence and you take something out of your portfolio and that's absolutely um fine I know some students have actually had their summative part of the front and then the fact that they kept all the evidence but this is the summative at the front that what I'm showing is my comment but these are some of my others again keeping that separate you can move from one section to the other and not be afraid of that and it's getting all that evidence and um, together so yeah key advice don't leave until the last week start doing as you're going along and again presenting it at your week six actually at our trust we have a meeting at week, at week nine with students to see how you're doing mid um midpoint see how you've managed from the actual points at week 12 are you still on track and again it's another good opportunity to make sure your portfolio is update up to date and you've got the evidence that you need to make sure you know where you're up to for week 12 so even if your placement doesn't have that actually maybe giving yourself as a goal of right by week nine I want to catch things up so I can review that even at the end of you end of week review meeting you've got that say this is where I'm up to and you can get that feedback from um, student supervisors. I think that's a great point um, you know setting yourself that goal even if it isn't something that your supervisor do at week nine I think that's a really great piece of advice and also not leaving it all to last minute uh, definitely a good one. So towards the end of P3 then, students will complete what is known as consolidation. So could you just talk us through what that means and what's expected from the student in that process? So a lot of students can kind of um, be a bit anxious about consolidation. Um, I need to remember at this point, we're not expecting you to be um, independent and absolutely fine and need no support whatsoever. Um, I think people think, right, I'm going to be a new, but I've got to work like a newly band qualified dietitian and I don't need, I'm not going to ask any help. That is not at all what we're expecting. We're expecting you to be managed a caseload of patients, but they'll be selected of what are appropriate patients for you to see. Um, so it may be, um, if I use, because I work in acute, we would select appropriate wards um, for, with a mixture of different clinical conditions and give you a small caseload for you to manage. We tend to do a pre-consolidation and a consolidation. So we give you a smaller caseload for the first week and then build it up. So again, break you into um, seeing those patients. We st start encouraging you to see patients on your own, but that doesn't mean that you're left on, the, on your own. Asking advice throughout as you go is absolutely fine and expected. That's what we're here for. Even as a newly qualified band five, you'll still be asking questions. You'll still be unsure of certain things. So don't feel that I need to know everything when I reach that week nine, week 10 point of consolidation. 
Um, vampires ask questions all the time. We're all still learning. And I think that's a key time for us understanding that do you, as a student dietitian, know your limits of your practice? That thing of I know where my scope of practice is, what I can and can't do, and this is where I then escalate. And that's a key point that we really understand, see whether you're understanding where your limits and where your goals are. So, and again, when you go to see a patient, we may select a patient in the office that is looks on paper to be right, this is great for a student dietitian to go and see. And when you actually get to the patient, you know, things change, it becomes a lot more complex. And again, that is absolutely okay. We're not expecting you to be able to fully deal with it. It's about, okay, what can I do in that situation? I'll gain other information, contacting supervisors, and these are my possible options are, this is what I've been thinking, explaining that knowledge and your rationale and your process. Um, so that's really important. So I think a lot of people think that it's really scary, but expected to do absolutely everything. Again, depending on different situations, if you're in community, it's difficult for you to be totally independent. So supervisors quite often have to go with you for health and safety on visits and things. That can be more tricky to be a totally independent practitioner. But again, managing that caseload, planning the visit, planning when you would review patients and kind of starting to work as your um, a band five might start introduced, um, starting that caseload. So after everything we've talked about today then, we've covered a lot of ground, what is your top tip for students who are about to start their placement? What I'd say is it's going to be tough, but try and enjoy as much as possible. It's Being on placement is really exciting, starting to put those skills and those things that you've learned um, in lectures at uni into practice with real life patients when you practice your communication skills with your peers at uni they're very nice they're very obliging they give you all the information you want patients can be more tricky and it is a big learning experience and a learning curve but it can be really enjoyable and you can see the progression have confidence in your ability to do things because you know you've been selected um, through communications you've got into uni because of your skills and actually you've been given that advice and have confidence in your ability that you can do this if at any point you feel you are struggling, making or you're concerned about anything, no matter how big or small, whether that is related to something that's happening at home in your personal life or professionally, making sure you find someone to talk to is really important. Um, a lot of places have a mentor um, who's not involved in your student training, trying to speak to them about any concerns that you may have. Students, lead supervisors are there to support you. What I'd also say for students who are still at uni, making sure you know at uni, if there is, hopefully there'll be no concerns when you go on placement and I think you'll sell through it absolutely fine. But if there is a problem or you're struggling, knowing beforehand who you would contact and make you know where to go and who that person is can make that, if you need to contact them, make it easier. You know who you are, that's taking that first step. Um, and taking that stress or difficulty away at that time. So while you're at uni, finding out who would be your contact, who would be the person you need to speak to. Um, and even having a conversation with them before, because I think that's the thing that I find when I was on placement and struggled, I wasn't sure who to go to first. So that probably delayed the process. And as supervisors, we want you all to achieve. So again, letting us know if there's any concerns. If you see something that's clinically, sometimes you can see situations that are upsetting, um, and can be difficult to see. Um, what I say is making sure you talk to people on placement about it. If, for instance, if you've been to a best interest meeting that's been really tough, maybe there's been difference of opinions, talking that through before you go home, because 
talking through it with someone can make that easier rather than going home and worrying about a situation it's really important that you talk about these situations um with supervisors it may not be the supervisor that day you may find that actually on placement there's that one dietitian that you feel really gets you and you understand and you be able to have that conversation seek them out they'll want to help you and it'll be a different for each student it'll be a different dietitian that you'll click with or connect with and going to speak to them and having that conversation um i think is really really important that's great advice thank you so if you could go back in time and give advice to your student self knowing everything that you know now what would that advice be breathe when you're in that difficult situation taking that minute to think about okay i can do this rather than to think it through rather than panicking and then trying to rush through i think we think as dietitians student dietitians that we should know everything and be able to do things instantly and not just happen we need that time to think and process and breathe can do this and actually take it you can take time to reflect about a situation from it if you're going through an assessment and you're unsure where to go with it next there is absolutely nothing wrong with saying to a patient um thanks for the information i'm going to go and speak to my supervisor i'm going to have a look through your notes again and we can come back and make a plan you don't need to do things straight on the spot there's not that pressure to do that straight away and say i only need to have a discussion with my supervisor Patients are really happy with that. They then know that they're going to get the best advice and the best care plan. And you don't have to do everything. You can, you can do things in parts. So take, it's okay to take that step back and to then carry on. Um, so yeah, to breathe, take confidence and then carry on. Thank you so much for your time today, Sarah, and for sharing your valuable experience and advice with us. Sarah's social media handles will be linked in the show notes for you to take a look at. A huge thank you once again to New Ultra for making this podcast possible. If you enjoyed listening to this episode of the Dietitian Cafe RD2B podcast, consider subscribing and leaving a review or five-star rating so that we can reach even more RD2Bs. You can also follow New Ultra on social media at New Ultra across all platforms to keep up to date with the podcast and to hear the latest updates on medical nutrition. Thank you for listening. Our next episode will be out soon.